Joining us today on a special edition of Superheroes of Science, we're pleased to welcome Lindsay Purcell. Lindsay is an urban forestry specialist with the Department of Forestry and Natural Resources here at Purdue University. So thank you so much, Lindsay. We appreciate you taking time and, and coming out and recording and helping us understand a little bit more about invasive species, yeah. especially Bradford pears, which we happen to be in a, I don't know, an orchard of Bradford. <laughs> yeah, we've got quite a thing here of invasive species. Great, great learning laboratory here that's living for us. So uh, you, for your job, uh, it's you deal with this. Uh, it's like, like part of a living, right? Yeah, invasive species have, uh, were once good plants that got a bad rap. Um, a lot of our landscape plants that you see in your neighborhoods are invasive species. Common things like Bradford pear, Chanticleer pear, Cleveland pears, barberries, Euonymus uh, or uh, what we call Euonymus uh, or winter creeper, ground cover. Those are all invasives, but they were once introduced landscape plants that perform very well. That's why they become so wildly popular. Uh, but unfortunately, once they're taken out of their natural habitat and introduced into our our habitat or our landscapes, then we don't know what's going to happen with them, and as a result, they become invasive oftentimes because of their profuse and proliferation of uh, seedlings that uh, cause issues for us. Okay. Now, the Bradford pear in particular, uh, it's yeah. this, uh, you, we were talking before, and you kind of told us a little history about that, yeah. which was definitely educational for me. Yeah, the Bradford pear was such a wildly popular tree because of its um, wonderful flowering. I mean, there's not, nothing rivals the Bradford pear. Um, with flowering, except that it smells awful. <laughs> we, we that. Um, but what happened was Bradford pear was the first introduced um, cultivar of the ornamental pear, but it had a very weak branching habit. So they modified the genetics and tried to create a more stable structure, and that's when we have had the new cultivars like Santa Clara, Cleveland Select, and a couple of others. But what happens is the Bradford pears that were here and those introduced cultivars cross-pollinated. And that's when they reverted back to their original state, the ornamental pear, that creates a huge amount of seeds. Now the original uh, cultivars, Bradford and Cleveland Select and those others I mentioned, didn't, didn't seed so much. But they didn't know what was going to happen when they got back together again. <laughs> oh. So it sounds like it has something to do with a little bit with the genetics of the yeah, plants. And it's all about the genetics. And they some some will cross-pollinate with others, but not all of them. Okay. But the ones that do create what we have with this invasive pear. And you can see there's a lot of seeds on them. Um, they're still producing a lot of flowers. But as a result of flowers, we have seeds there. Yes. And so... They self-plant themselves, or um, our best tree planters that we have naturally are birds. Mm -hmm. They digest those and deposit the seeds everywhere, as you can see. Yeah. As a result, we have this wicked, uh, not just Bradford or ornamental pears, but also Asian bush honeysuckle. And we, and we look at this and we think, man, this is really cool. This is a nice natural area, but we yes. know there's some inherent problems with that. Oh, we know uh, a lot of people have thought these were specifically planted, and that's just not the case right here. No, we often take credit for this natural area, but nature did this for us, but unintentionally. And it seems like a good thing, but the problem is it, it crowds out um, space for natural um, 
uh, natural species or wildflowers and more favorable sustainable trees and shrubs and understory plants that are uh, better for our environment and less invasive. Yeah, and that's why we picked this spot right. uh, for the for the interview this time because it's we were in an area that people had told us, oh, that's so pretty over there. When you drive by early in the spring, it is just the, the wrapper pears are all blooming. It's white. It is very attractive looking aesthetically. Yeah. Not realizing that no, this was not. We did not. Yeah, people did not plant this. This is all succession, and they're out competing in a huge way any native plants whatsoever. Yeah, you'd be hard-pressed to find any native trees in here um, maybe a, a few but by and large I mean 95 percent of this area is, is two two species of plants and that's Asian honeysuckle and the ornamental pear and when we look at the side of the interstate this is this is exactly what we seem to see yeah. and they, they're why do they out compete the native is so well. Yeah, well, you know, trees have, um, they don't get to be the largest, oldest living organism on the planet with having some really good, cool strategies for survival. And it's a lot about allocation of their resources. They'll either outgrow their competitors or they'll defend against them. Now, like Asian bush honeysuckle, it has a little pathic. Uh, qualities and lily packing means it puts out a poison in the soil that will prevent plants from growing under it. Now these guys they just outgrow their competition which shades the environment around them which doesn't allow germination of wild or more favorable trees. I know with trees we, we just love trees and especially I think for air quality trees are so important so I would wonder well but it's a tree isn't that helpful? Yeah you know I have mixed feelings about that, you know, and one of the things is, especially we live in Indiana, and we rank 46 out of the 50 states in air and water quality, and trees are the best biological machine for um, ecosystem services and functional benefits like cleaning our air, removing carbon, uh, stormwater filtration, all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and so these do help, but the problem is, is these are not long-term sustainable plants. Oh. They'll just grow for 20 20 years or 25 years then they'll split apart or they'll die these are very susceptible to disease issues like bacteria uh, uh, things like that and as a result they just die back and then we're left with nothing Oh. As compared to like a, a native, like a, like a, a hardwood, a forest, or a regular one. Or a maple, they live here for 100, 200, maybe 300 years. Wow. So it's just a short-term thing. And also, once we want to do something with this, the getting rid of these isn't so easy because these have a lot of storage organs underneath in their roots, and they have a lot of energy there. So if we would cut that off... I think it just makes them mad and they grow back even stronger. They just push up new energy and new new growth. And yeah. I know with the Asian honeysuckle, we had one volunteer in our yard and it seemed like six years later they're still part of that thing around. Oh yeah, I mean it takes a lot of it takes a lot of maintenance inputs and also the bad thing about this is when we're ready to maybe create a more sustainable forest here or, or even a landscape, even if we cut it down we have to treat it with a lot of chemicals which is hard on our environment as well so long term it's not a good thing short term it may seem fine and rather innocuous but it's not a sustainable plant or a situation for for these open areas like we have here well, i'm almost afraid to ask but uh a lot of these have been used in landscaping 
and a lot around. Uh -huh. And so what can we do to make sure that we're not propagating this invasive species that we might have on our property? Well, industry professionals have recognized this as a, a problem, a growing problem, literally. <laughs> and we've got a couple of things here. One, we've introduced the, the uh, Indiana Terrestrial Plant Rule which outlaws basically planting of certain plants. Now this guy isn't on here yet because it's still a major part of the nursery trade. So there's a little bit of a conflict there, but I think it's on the, um, uh, the not recommended list and we're kind of moving it up. Now like Asian bush honeysuckle, it's on that list, so you can't plant it. Okay. Um, now in Lafayette, uh, they, they've initiated a new program where if you cut down your ornamental pear, uh, they will give you a new tree and plant it for you. Oh wow! So communities are adopting that kind of um, that kind of uh, measure to try to reduce it because every one of these will produce two to five thousand seeds. Oh, and so that's a lot of plants. And if you get rid of that, then that's perhaps two to five thousand less trees we're going to see invading our natural area. And that's per growing season, correct? Per season. <laughs> right. And I'm looking. I'm seeing literally thousands of them yes. right here. Yeah. And so I mean, holy moly, that's a lot of. Well, and I've also had people say, but it's a lot of nice uh, food for wildlife and our birds and things, but. This research has shown that this isn't really a good food product for birds because it's high sugar um, and less uh, nutritious for them in the long run as well. I see. Oh. So that's, yeah, I see some negative benefits then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I say, it's, you know, the invasive short term, they don't seem like a problem, but, mm -hmm. you know, and even if you walk out into the woods and you see these or you'll see the red barberries or the winter creeper you want them, so you're like, how did that get there? Mm -hmm. Was there an old house here or something? Yeah. Like, no, that's just deposited by birds. Okay. And it shouldn't be there. And then you will not see your natural wildfires like you normally see, like trillium, jack in the pulpit, Dutchman's breaches, all those things that we like to see that are natural part of our forest floor as a result of that. It's, it's really hard sometimes for all of us, including myself, to look past what did now. Yeah. And so to looking into the future. It's like when I had the volunteer, the Asian honeysuckles pop up in my yard. My wife and I were like, oh, that is so pretty. And look, the bees love it. And oh, we, we should let this grow because that's just better for our ecosystem and all of our yard. And it's so pretty. And it kept growing and growing and growing. And uh, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, we need to trim this back. And someone's like, do you know what that is? Yeah. I'm like, it's pretty. And they're like, no. Uh, it, it, it's bad. It's You're going to have problems down the road. And so we started looking at it and researching. And it, it's really hard to, okay, okay, we're going to get rid of this. We're going to cut this down. Yeah, it, it's truly a conundrum. I mean, I can see, you know, I used to have a more hardcore stance on these. But, you know, is it is it better than nothing? You know, that's the, that's the struggle that we have. And perhaps it is on a very short-term basis. But you see, it's gotten to the age now where it's producing a lot of seeds. Yes. So now it's past that tipping point of really being helpful. And now it's becoming harmful. So we got to look at that long term and think about you know, planting these areas that are more responsible environmentally and more sustainable. 
now and it's for me i'm thinking all right the average person doesn't know what that is okay mm -hmm. there's my neighbor had a bradford pair and it it, it uh split apart i mean heck earlier this yep. year my social yep. media feed was full because uh -huh. we had that really late snow no, and, and everybody's it. bradford pairs were breaking yeah and i was thinking oh that's awesome <laughs> and uh, they're thinking oh what a tragedy but they don't know people don't know we we've not been trained right. to know what to do what to replace them with i know you've told me before it's like you're like oh, the best thing to do for your brad prepare is to cut it down right and uh coming from a tree hugger like yourself that says a lot i am an official <laughs> tree hugger <laughs> I, say, I say if you don't like the the, the act or the thought of, of removal or cutting a tree down then i just call it aggressive pruning what pruning at a ground level <laughs> Well, and I love the resource that you said. I know, it's great. And that you said that some communities, like, like our community now, that we can cut it down, they'll come in and bring you a tree and plant it for you. But before we, what is, are there other resources that we could do before we ever get to that point? Yeah, so. if you want to know more about it, one of the mm -hmm. best, it still seems like kept secrets in Indiana is the Purdue Education Store. And we have lots of videos and resources about trees, invasives, alternatives to invasives. Is a great resource to show you what trees are better than this. If you're going to select one, there's a lot better trees, and actually, there's some that look a lot like this that that perform very much better in the landscape. Okay. Uh, that's a good resource. And then also, uh, there's a website called TreesAreGood.org, and you can get a list of certified arborists in your area uh, that can help you select a plant and also determine what to do with your tree. You know, you look at the tree. I, I, driven by lots of homes where this is the only tree in their front yard. Mm -hmm. Yes, so, yes. Are you going to tell me to cut that down? Right. You know, that's that takes some good salesmanship or, or some good research to support that mm -hmm. decision. And it's sometimes a challenge. You know, it's, again, like I said, it's maybe... Oh. It's part of, it's hard, but it's part of environmental stewardship. It is. Yeah. Taking care of the environment, it's more than just recycling our plastics. Yeah. It's actually sometimes action, and sometimes action we'd prefer not to do. But it, you had mentioned the uh, alternatives to invasive species. Right. Last time we talked, I went and looked that up. So I'm like, I am curious, because I'm redoing my front yard now. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm curious to know. And now that confused me a little, because it was listed, uh, I, when I first saw that, oh, this isn't for... Uh, a homeowner but I said however it was listed uh, for like nurseries oh, nursery and, growers. yeah it was for nursery growers or something but I thought oh that's in it at first then I opened it up I, oh yeah this yeah. tells me all the trees and stuff yeah. and even by height it's a what area to put it in and the reason that we wrote that in that uh, perspective is the reason we wrote that in that perspective is the fact that what you buy is basically simple economics of supply and demand. Yes. And we're trying to convince nursery growers that we don't want these anymore. Is there anything else we can plant to replace this? But, and still, you can have a good sales, or have good sales and well, but in some level, though, there's got to be that communication with the suppliers where the homeowners are going and getting their, their yeah. it's never going to completely go away until... Well, if you go to a reputable nursery that's oh. dedicated to plants, yes. okay. you're going to find the best species for your landscape. That's good. And typically, they won't have invasive species. Now, there may be... There may be some there, and I they still 
they have a high demand for them, so they do carry some, but they're getting further and further away from that. It's taking some time, but it is getting there. Right? And, uh, our green industry is very environmentally sensitive and responsible, but um, it, it takes some time. Yeah. It's very, I'm hoping people people also take action. You know, it, it's yeah. I, you know, it, help educate your neighbor, let them know. And uh, you know, help them maybe plant a tree. Maybe maybe you have an elderly person around, and that's the one tree in their yard. I'm thinking down the road for me, exactly what right, it was. Right. And so maybe go in and help them and talk to them. Like, hey, these are really kind of bad for the environment, you know. And so to help the bigger environment, <laughs> could we replace that maybe and help them out? And like like I said, there are uh, the, the education store. You have the alternative races. I looked at that one. We can talk to arborists, and don't be afraid to let. Any place that sells plants, no. If you see that, if you're at well, a big box store, let them know that this is really bad for our environment. We would rather you did not sell that. If you want to continue getting our money, you might consider that. Yeah, the Indiana Department of Natural Resources have nursery inspectors. And they go around the state of Indiana, and if they find invasives in those nurseries, they'll tag them and say, do not sell, you have to destroy those. So the state's taking an active role in preventing invasives from spreading. Now, we're just talking about terrestrial plants. I mean, there's invasives in every part of our environment, in the water, in the air. I mean, there's all, you know, we have invasive fish. Um, we, have, we have mammals that actually can be invasive as well in certain ways. But, uh, you know, invasives are a major economic problem and it's significant to all of us. So we got to watch what we're planting and be, make more informed decisions. And, you know, again, talking uh, to Purdue Extension Specialists and Purdue Extension Resources is the best way to do that. Perfect. I like that. And that's good advice. And I think, like you said, we just have to make informed decisions and we need to educate ourselves before because it's... I mean, we want everything that's best for the environment. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we need to think about long-term, you know, planting trees is, you know, a good thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, selection's the biggest part of that that's often overlooked. We'll say, oh, that's pretty, I'll plant that. It may be this. Yeah. It may not be responsible. So, I always say, you know, plant trees for the future. I I don't like that anymore. I like plant trees with the future. Oh, I love that. Sustainable and long-term and helpful to our environment rather than harmful. Oh, I like that. I just love, I mean, and just bringing back to the beginning of the conversation that, yeah, that they're good. It's, it is a tree for a short term right. compared to a tree like an oak or a maple that's going to last maybe potentially hundreds of years. Right. And that just makes sense. We want to think about, you know, our children, children's children. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, yes. Everybody loves big old trees. <laughs> but we're having, we're, we see fewer and fewer of them because of development, agriculture, mm-hmm. and you know, growing population has growing demands on mm-hmm. our natural resources. We got to be very careful about our selections and make sure they're the right tree for the right place for the long-term haul. And it it feels good to have those old trees. Oh. It feels, I know we have sycamores in our front yard that I mean, my grandfather put in. Yeah. You know, it's I've uh, driven hundreds of miles. I mean, I, I get calls and emails all the time. I've got the oldest tree in Benton County. I got the oldest tree. <laughs> Oh it's got to be 500 years old. Yeah. Probably not more than maybe 250. Oh, wait. You, we have trees that are 500 years old? I've got one that I know of. The oldest that I know of is is uh, south uh, between in Tippecanoe and Montgomery County area. And we think it's about 300 years old. Wow. That's about the oldest. Because wow. 
back in the early 1800s, um, about 80% of Indiana was forested. Yeah. Now it's football. But only 19% is forested. Um, in fact, Gray uh, Jackson, who's a, a, a geographer for the state of Indiana, he said a squirrel could go from state line to state line without ever touching the ground. But we were removing trees at the rate of 100 acres per hour by axe and saw back in the mid-1800s for agriculture. Oh, just for to make agricultural land? Just to plant, yeah, road Okay. Plants. And so okay. we lost a majority of our, our it, it seems like that, that era, we did a lot to destroy uh, in, in the name of agriculture then. It's yeah. the wetlands we have, from North, used to have in northern Indiana was just absolutely massive and world-renowned. If you're fascinated with that, read the Mary Jackson's book, Natural History of Indiana. Oh. That's about two poplars that are eight feet of across Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just amazing what we had at one time. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I mean, you don't really see that except in Europe now. I mean, they appreciate their better trees a lot more than we do. A lot of it has to do with risk associated with trees. We're very sens oversensitized to risk and what trees present, um, and also aesthetics. Sometimes, as you get older, they get a little uglier, you know, maybe not perfect <laughs> form, and so we're like, yeah, I'll cut that down and paint something prettier. But we've lost, you know, a, a witness tree or something that mm -hmm. is historical. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you for taking time to talk to us and coming out here and in our invasive species area that everyone thinks has been uh, cultivated. And this is, you know, if, if you're ever walking or driving on this path, this is a living laboratory of what invasives can do. There's several here, you know, ground cover, we've got crown bats, we've got, um, as far as the understory, we've got the Asian bush honeysuckle, and uh, overstory, we have the uh, ornamental pear, so we've got from ground to sky, all the basic. Wow. <laughs> wow.